title of this message, if you take notes, I'm just like you. Somebody say, I'm just like you. I'm just like you. All right, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, it says this. This I say, therefore, again, Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, and testify in the Lord. In other words, he's saying, can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? Amen. amen. Usually when, like in a church, somebody says, like, can I get a witness? You, like, shout out amen or something like that. So can I get a witness? Amen. All right. So he says, this I, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk. Now, I mentioned this last week. In, in, these, in this chapter and in chapter 5, about Five times he tells us to walk in some way or another. Last week he told us to walk worthy. Next week he's going to tell us to walk in love. He's also going to tell us to walk in light. And then he's going to tell us to walk carefully or circumspectly. And then tonight he says, do not walk or no longer walk. And he says specifically like the Gentiles. We'll talk about that in a minute. Who walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created uh, according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pause right there and pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We ask that you would speak to us now through it, that you would be our teacher. And God, we would, you would help us as we just read about this idea of putting off the old man and putting on the new man, that you would help us to do exactly that. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm just like you. Recently, um, over the, this past summer, um, I had the opportunity with Hannah, my wife, and her dad, who was, the, um, for a little while, the USA Olympic surf coach. Um, so until he, he just sort of retired, um, he, was, he was in the training with the Olympic team and the junior Olympic team. And so we were able to go with them um, to Waco, Texas, to train for surfing. Why are we going to Waco, Texas to train for surfing? Great question. Um, there was this, like, brand-new wave pool. Um, so it's an artificial wave, pretty crazy. You can Google it after the Bible study, uh, this wave pool in Waco, Texas. And we got to go with them. And Hannah and I were basically, like, youth leaders. They were all under 18. We drove the vans. Like, we, we took them to uh, Jersey Mike's a couple times. Like, that was a spot. Um, and uh, so, so we did this thing. But the crazy thing was is that I got to basically behave as if I was on the USA surf team. And what I mean by that is not only did I drive the vans, but I got to surf the wave pool. I got to hang out with the guys. We like, you know, I got to use their wax. I got to listen to their like surf instructions from the coaches. And like for this, these couple days of us surfing the wave pool, I got to be just like them. Surf the wave, it was amazing. The only problem is um, I'm not them. The only problem is, is these group of athletes were the best under 18 surfers in North America. And I'm not one of those. One, I'm not under 18. And two, I'm not one of the best surfers in North America by any means. And so although I got to pretend like I'm just like them, I got to go with them and surf with them and do all these things, 
the reality was when they stood up on a wave versus when I stood up on a wave, it's a very big difference. The very first wave, it's, it's really weird, like wave pool surfing, this is besides the point, I don't have a lot of time, probably shouldn't be saying this, but it's like a flat pool, and then all of a sudden you hear just this scary like sound, and then literally that fast, a wave goes from this big to this big, and you have to like turn around and catch it like immediately. So it's very different than ocean surfing, and it's freshwater versus saltwater. And so my very first wave, I missed the wave. <laughs> like there I am, it's my turn. Like the wave pops up, and I'm like, I paddled. For, there was like a little bump in front of, because it literally pops up this big, and then grows to this big. And there was a bump this big, and I'm like, oh, that must be the wave. It wasn't. It was just a bump that big. <laughs> like somebody must have done a cannonball like on the other side. And then behind it, and the wave broke on my head. Super embarrassing. I'm just like you, but not really. Does that make sense? So the reason I bring this up is that it's kind of what what Paul's talking about. He he tells us that we should no longer walk like the Gentiles. And the reason he tells us this is because there was people that were acting just like the Gentiles, but they were no longer like the Gentiles. They're saying, I'm just like you. You know, we're doing this thing. We're doing this. I'm a Christian, but I'm just like you. We behave the same. We act the same. We go to the same places. We think the same. We talk the same. We do all the same things. I'm just like you. And Paul's like, hold on, time out. If you've placed faith in Jesus Christ, you can no longer live the same way as those that don't know Christ or that you did before you knew Christ. And Paul makes it very clear that someone who has said yes to following Jesus should no longer live like those that don't know Jesus. And I think many Christians... I mean, I'm sure we can all relate that we try as Jesus followers. We want to be like Jesus, but at the same time, we attempt to look and think and behave just like everyone else. Like if we could, if we could go through the motions where everybody didn't even think anything different than us, that we're Christian, like we know we're going to heaven and we're Christian and we're doing this thing. But at the same time, like nobody knows and they can't spot the difference and everything looks exactly the same because our Instagram and how we talk and the music we listen to and all the things that we do look just just like them. So if they could never tell, then that would be the sweet spot. You know what I mean? Like we're going to heaven, like everything's good, me and God are tight, but at the same time, me and people are tight because they don't know any difference. And Paul's like, hold on just a second. If you have placed faith in Jesus, if you have said yes to the call of God on your life, you are no longer just like them. There's something supernatural that has taken place in your life. And so Paul describes first for us the old man, how they used to behave or or how the people that don't know Jesus behave. And to sum it up, he says the old man focuses or their focus was on empty things. The pursuit of things that do not matter and cannot satisfy. That's basically what he says in verse 19. He says who past feeling, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all cleanness with Greediness. The idea is that life before Christ or without Christ, the old man pursues self-gratification with no concern for others and is in constant pursuit of more. They're never happy enough and they never have enough. It's basically what he says about the old man. Never happy enough, always looking for the next high, the next excitement, the next thing that will keep them entertained. Never happy enough and they never have enough. No matter what mountain they've climbed, what they've experienced, where they've been, what they have, any of that, it's never enough. 
And everything they do is in pursuit of those things. And so Paul transitions and tells us that's not who you are in Christ. He says in verse 20, he says, but you have not so learned Christ. Another translation would say, that is not what you learned about Christ. He says, this is the old man. This is their pursuit. It's about self. It's about being, feel, feeling, ha feeling happy. I always get those two words, feeling, feeling, whatever. Are you guys with me? All right. You can, like, laugh at me. That's okay, too. At least I know you're alive. <laughs> they're, they're constantly pursuing self. And he says, but that's not what you learned about Christ. That's not the life for you in Christ. And Paul, with this colossal transition, tells us that we should no longer be focused on those things because we are a new man or woman. And he tells us what is new in Christ. Really quickly, three things that is brand new. If you are a Jesus follower, you are not just like them. Maybe I should have titled my message that. I'm not just like you. But three things that change. Number one, you have a new identity. Now, identity is kind of like, I mean, this is like youth talk 101. You know what I mean? Like you go to any youth conference and we got to talk about identity. Now, identity, this idea, um, basically is, is who we are. It's how we define ourselves and what makes you, you, right? Like, this is who I am. This is, this is my characteristics. These are my interests. This is my flaws. These all, this is who I am. And most of the time, we define ourselves, we identify ourselves by what we do or our interests or where we come from or whatever, all of which are elements of who we are, and they give us personality and character, but we're more than that. You are more than a list of skills and interests and music playlists. Like, you cannot summarize yourself just based upon, like, your Spotify top 40. You can't. Like, this is who I am. These are, no, no, no. Okay, those are some of your interests, some of your personality. You, you can't qualify and identify yourself by your grade point average. You can't identify yourself about where you're planning on go to school or, or what school you're currently in. None of that. Those are elements of who you are, but you are much, much more than that. And Paul explains to us the main difference in our identity. And he tells us the old man lived by the blindness or the hardness of their heart. But in Christ, he tells us that our heart softens or changes. We, we no longer should have a heart obsessed with self, but is now directed towards God. And the change, that change, that reality that we no longer live, he says, by the blindness. Another translation says hardness of your heart. That means the idea of hardness of heart means that we're, we're not willing to see or listen or hear what God wants to do. A hardened heart is saying that it's just it's about what I want. And the more you harden your heart, the harder it is for it to be softened. The more you say no to God and you ignore God and you reject God, the more difficult it becomes to say yes to him because this idea your heart becomes hardened. And so he says those, the old man has a hardened heart. The new man is softened and changed and can see things as God wants us to see them. And that change from the inside out should affect how you see yourself. We aren't defined by what we do, but we are now defined. We are now characterized. We are now summarized by who we are in Christ. It's a new identity. And what that should do for us is if you've placed faith in Jesus, is it should cause you to go, yeah, I'm not a list of skills or interests or, 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 or music or, or whatever it is. 
I'm not a list of that. I'm what God has defined me as. And I could go on and on about what God has defined you as. But to summarize it, you're a child of God. Summarize it, you belong to God. To, to summarize it, God's proud of you. God's happy with you. God, the, the Bible says he's, he's well pleased with you. That's just a, basically like an old school way of saying he thinks you're cool. <laughs> right? Like God is, he's obsessed with you. He loves you. He's proud of you. And everything that you sh- do should stem from this new identity. It's not about what I've done or where I've been or what my interests are, but who God has said you are. So you've got a new identity. Secondly, you've got a new lifestyle. A new lifestyle. Paul tells us to put off former conduct. Look at it there in verse 22. He says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful deceitful lust. The language used is literally as if someone was changing clothes. Like imagine you just got home from school or maybe like last period was P.E. or hope or whatever it is they call it these days. And you, like you're la- or you just got home from work or your, your sport or whatever it is. And you got home and you like feel disgusting. It was one of those days. And you're like that classroom was so hot. And do, like do they even understand air conditioning? Like why are there so many warm bodies in this tiny room? And you get home and you just feel disgusting and you go home and you take a shower and you get out of the shower and for whatever reason you put on the same clothes you were just wearing. No, that's disgusting, right? Like there's still the armpit stains on that t-shirt. Why is it back on your body? The idea is, is you've been cleansed. And now you put off that old, they go, they go in the pile or they go on the chair, like, you know what I mean? Or the foot of your bed, like the space that all of our clothes go. And then later we forget that it's actually dirty and we rummage through it. I'm like, eh, this is probably fine. Just me? Anyways. Put off is the idea. Put off the former self and put on, he says, something brand new. He's saying that there was a lifestyle and behavior that used to describe us, and that is no longer who we are. He describes that old man as corrupt behavior. Corruption is often a slow process, isn't it? He even tells us that the old man grows corrupt. A lot of times people aren't like corrupted overnight. You ever watch like a movie and it's like that cop is like, he's been corrupted. You know what I mean? Like it's like a dirty cop. (laughs) It's a dirty cop. Like you ever seen Batman? There's like a million dirty cops. Right? Okay, anyways. So the idea of corruption, it's like it's a slow, it's something, he, he literally says, grows corrupt. It's something that we, that we choose. But once something is corrupted, it's difficult or impossible to change. You ever had like a file on your computer be corrupted where you can no longer open it? One time my computer did that where the whole thing just somehow got corrupted. It got a virus. It was back in the day when... You probably don't know anything about this, but LimeWire. You guys ever heard of LimeWire? Basically, it was like before music streaming, and it was like you downloaded this super sketchy like application onto your computer, and you could download music for free. Super sketchy, 100% gave you viruses, like guaranteed. And so I had it, and the whole computer just corrupt, just gone. You download LimeWire, your life is over. You have free music for a little while, and then it's over. And once it's corrupted, it's, it's almost impossible to get it back and to get that information back. And our new lifestyle, we have to put away those things that corrupt us. 
Paul would write to us in another text to show us really where the root of which where this corruption comes from. He says it like this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. Don't let anybody fool you. He says, evil company corrupts good habits. That same word, corrupts. Something growing worse, decaying, becoming almost, you, you can't bring it back. And he says, evil company, the idea, another way of saying would be bad friends. Evil company corrupts, he says, even good habits. Not just good behaviors. He takes it a step further because behavior could be like a one-off thing. A habit is something you do regularly. So you can have a good habit, something you're invested in. Maybe it's you wake up, you're reading God's word. Maybe it's you're, you're listening to worship songs. Maybe it's, it's before you even get on Instagram in the morning, you're, you're just asking God, go before me today. You've got a good habit. You've got a routine, something that is, is good. And then he says, evil company will corrupt that habit. B bad friends, bad company, bad situations, bad environment will corrupt, he says, good habits. What we need to understand is that there is now a new lifestyle and a new behavior, new conduct, the word that he uses, that is now called for those that are followers of Jesus. And when we enter into new lifestyle, we are now influenced by the word of God and the spirit of God. And we have this new conduct, new behavior, new lifestyle. All right, point number three. Not only do we have a, a new identity and a new lifestyle, we also have a new mind. A new mind. Paul concludes this section by telling us that to be renewed by the spirit of your mind. In other words, to change the way that you're thinking. Your mind's your control center, isn't it? So much of your mood and your direction and your goals for the day come from how your mindset is on that particular day. Right? Someday you wake up and you're like, I can take over the world like you got so much drive and ambition and you're like this is my day I'm gonna do it and then the next day you wake up like I don't think I'm gonna get out of bed today like that seems like the plan perfect right there and it's a mindset it's how it's how we're and a lot of times especially like adulting you've ever heard that phrase it's like when it, hashtag adulting it's when people just do regular things and they like want a big deal about it like hey look at me I'm paying my bills so everybody notice me Hashtag adulting. Um, but it's like you're just doing what adults have been doing for like centuries. Anyways, that's besides the point. What was I even saying? New mind. New mindset. Yeah, thanks. Still don't know what that means, but awesome. <laughs> Everything flows from our mindset. And once we have that new mindset, once we allow ourselves to be changed, he says renewed by the spirit of your mind, then now you can live and do what God wants you to do. Everything flows from your thoughts and from your mindset. And so Paul describes some of the things that should be affected as a result of our new mindset. Jump down to verse 25. It's where we left off. We'll breeze through this real quick. He says, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So he says, these are some of the things that change in your mind as a follower of Jesus. He says, put off lying. We know what lying is, right? It's not the truth. It's like when your parents say, where were you? And you're like, you were here, but actually you were here. Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, did you put that away? Of course I did. Or your teacher says like, 
where's your homework? And you're like, oh, my gosh, craziest thing happened on my way here today. Like, all of a sudden, there was, like, this crazy gust of wind, and it unzipped my backpack. And then all of it, I'm no, no joke, my iPad was in there with all my notes and stuff on it. And then just somehow the wind opened the backpack and deleted everything. And then it's like, huh? So, it, so the idea here is, is don't lie. He goes on. Look at this. Verse 26. He says, be angry. I love that verse. I can relate to that verse. Be angry. I'm angry. And then he follows it up. He says, but don't sin. Be angry, but don't sin. Now, this is a whole other message that we should talk about another time. But there are things that we should be angry about. There should be things that should frustrate us and and, and and get us upset, and I think as it relates to our Bible study, because there's a million things I could talk about, one of the things that should frustrate us is watching our friends and people we care about get sold the lie that is anything else but Jesus. That should, that should frustrate us, to watch people that we care about get so caught up with the lie that says that other things besides God is better, that should cause us to go, uh-uh, that is a lie. Um, that, that is something, and that anger, that frustration, that, that feeling in your stomach watching your friends or families or people you care about walk away from God should cause, stir something inside of you to do something about it. He says, be angry. We're allowed to be angry, but then he says, don't sin. And he says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. He says, nor give any place to the devil. In other words, build up walls or build up barricades or build up anything that you can to protect yourself from the attack of the enemy. Be, be forward thinking. Uh, don't think about your spiritual attack with hindsight, but with foresight. You know, a lot of times when you go through something, you're like, ah, should have done that. Right? You heard the saying, hindsight's 2020. And it's like, ah, I get it now. This is what I should have done. When it, he says, don't give any place for the enemy to attack. He says, let him who steal, or let him who stole steal no longer, but ra- ra- rather, rather let him labor. Verse 29, he says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. We could probably spend all day talking about that one. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but not just don't say bad words. And the idea of uh, of bad words, it it could be profanity, it could be inappropriate, but it also could be just tearing people down. Just not being uplifting, because that's what he says, but instead, what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. I think, I mean, obviously, I don't want to beat, beat it too hard, but as followers of Jesus, if you said yes to Jesus, the words that you, the words that you say matter. And so, one, we don't want to sound like everybody else. And so if everybody's using these words, maybe we shouldn't. Shane joked on Sunday, if you're here, like, use the Christian bad words, like gosh and darn. Um, but... <laughs> But rather, instead of sounding like everybody else, using our words to build up instead of break down. And then he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That idea is do not grieve the Holy Spirit. In other words, don't ignore the voice of God. Don't ignore the voice of God. When God speaks to you and says, hey, this is what you should do, or hey, this is not what you should do, don't ignore that. Because God cares about you and wants what's best for you. So when he speaks to you, he's trying to get you to respond so that you will live your best life, the life that God has for you. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. 
And she says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. Same language that he used about putting off, put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another and tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Here's the key. Even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, all of these things that he says, this whole list, lying, this idea of, of being angry and not sinning, stealing, cursing or speaking evil, grieving the Holy Spirit, bittering, harboring hatred, all of these things will be affected by the new mind we have in Christ. Where we're saying, God, I want you to renew my mind, make me think and look and act how you want me to. With that, we must choose to put off the old man and walk in the new life that God has for you. All right, worship team, you guys can come up here. I've got two quick thoughts as we close. Is that okay? Two quick thoughts, and we'll be done. So we're new in Christ. We have a new identity. We have a new lifestyle. We have a new mind. But I think we, we need to understand that there's, there's motivation, if you will, behind these new things. The first thing I want you to understand is that anyone and everyone can experience this new life. Anyone and everyone can experience this new life. I, I find it interesting. Remember Paul said, and I said we get there. Paul said at the beginning uh, that you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. Now, some of us, we know that word. We're like Bible scholars. We're like, oh, yeah, I know what a Gentile is. Others are like, what the heck is a Gentile? Um, a Gentile would be used in their time and the Jewish culture, because remember, most of the Bible happened in the little place called Israel. Um, and the Jewish culture, they would call Gentile anybody that is a non-Jew. It's kind of the idea. And so Paul says, no longer walk as the Gentiles. And so he summarizes this, like the whole world, basically, by, by calling these people, he says, Gentile. Which, you know, it kind of sounds like a, a little harsh or like derogatory. Like, don't be like a Gentile. Right? Like, don't be like someone from Vero Beach. Like, it's kind of the idea. You know what I mean? Like, those people from those Vero Beachians or whatever, however you say it. Don't be like them. Don't walk like them any longer. Gentile, non-Jew. It's, it it kind of sounds like a derogatory term. And the idea was bigger than that. It, wasn't, it was more than just the where they were from. The idea was that it, it was the stereotype would be any of those not in the faith family of God. So the, Jew were God's, the Jews were God's chosen people, and then the, the rest of the world were not in the faith family of God. But you need to understand, when Paul writes this, is that he's writing to a church in Ephesus, which was a Gentile church and a Gentile city. Right? So he says, no longer walk like the Gentiles. And they're like, I'm a Gentile. How do I not walk like a Gentile? Like, maybe instead of walking like the normal way, I've got to walk like... You know, like where your, your arm and leg goes at the same time. You're like, that's not, that doesn't seem right. He says, he says, no longer walk of the Gentile. And I'm sure the people in Ephesus were like, no longer walk like a, wait, Gentile? That's you. That's me. What, what do you mean? How is that supposed to work? Do I change, like, the way that I walk? I don't, I don't get it. And so a church filled with non-Jews that now he, he, he's writing to them, these Gentiles, non-Jews, have now placed faith in Jesus, right? And so he says, no longer walk like the Gentiles, but he's writing to a 
group of Jesus-following Gentiles. And so the idea is that no matter who you were before, you can now be a part of the faith family through Christ. That's the idea. Anyone and everyone can experience relationship with God. Anybody can have this new life. He says, no longer walk like a Gentile. Well, we were a Gentile. What happened? Well, now you're a part of something different. You're not just welcomed into this, into what the the, the Jewish faith family, God has created a whole brand new thing where Jew and Gentile and the like now are adopted into God's family, Christ's family, and they belong to the family, the greater family of God. Anyone and everyone now belong to God. The second thing I want you to remember, not only can anyone and everyone experience this life, secondly, always remember the why. I think when it comes to the new life in Christ, sometimes it's hard to continue because we lack motivation. You know, have you guys ever, like the series start again, we kicked it off in the new year. I'm sure many of us, like we had like New Year's resolution. And we're like, I can't even remember what they were. Like, I don't know. Guess it doesn't really matter. If it was important to me, I would have remembered it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And it's hard to remember the motivation. Like, why did I even say it? I'm sure if you ask like a lot of people like, hey, what was your New Year's resolution? They'd be like this. How come? I don't really know, actually. So, like, what's the motivation? When it comes to new life, it's hard to recognize or or, or to realize the motivation. Paul gives it to us, and it's the key motivation. Look at the end of verse 32 again. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Ready? Even as God in Christ forgave you. All of it is now put into perspective. Even as God in Christ or through Christ has forgiven you. How did he forgive us? Well, one, the Bible says he forgave us. He saved us while we were yet sinners. So when we were against God, going in an opposite direction of God, he forgave us and he saved us. Not only did he save us while we were yet sinners, the Bible tells us that he forgave us even when we didn't ask for forgiveness. Listen to this. Jesus is speaking while he's on the cross. This is in Luke chapter 23. He's speaking. He says this. He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Why? Because they have no idea what they're doing. Even though we didn't ask for forgiveness, God has already given us the option to be forgiven. It's there. He's already forgiven you. Now we have to grab onto it. But he has forgiven us even though we didn't ask. And then the third thing, not only were we forgiven while we were yet sinners, not only were we forgiven when we didn't ask, but also we have unlimited forgiveness. Unlimited forgiveness. I think God's love for us is revealed in his forgiveness. God's love for us is revealed for us in his forgiveness. And no matter how we fail, God always forgives. God always forgives. There's an interesting situation where Peter, one of the apostles, comes up to Jesus, and he's, he's kind of, I don't think he's, I think he's just being not fully aware, and I think his question is sincere, but he comes up to Jesus, and he says, hey, Jesus, if somebody wrongs me, like, how many times should I forgive them? Like, up to seven times? And Peter, I think, was like, that's like a lot of times. Like, imagine that, right? You've got a friend, and they do something, like, just the worst to you. Maybe it's like they stood you up, or they left you on red, or, like, whatever it was. Like, they did something, like, uh, and, and you're like, okay, fine, I forgive you. 
And then the next day, they do the exact same thing, or maybe even worse. And then the next day, they do the same thing. And then the next, and then the next day. And then, and then pretty soon, you're like, all right, buddy, that's it. That's enough. Like, I, I keep reaching out to you. I keep trying to be a good guy here. And you, what's your deal? You know what I mean? Like, seven times, that's a lot of times to be rejected by somebody or betrayed by somebody and keep going back. And I think Peter was like, I'm kind of putting it out there. And Jesus is like, not seven times. And then he says 70 times seven times. And the idea is not literally like whatever that math is. Can somebody tell me that math? 490? Thank you. 490, right? He's like, Jesus isn't saying like 490, so you got to keep like your pen and pad. One, two, three, like so-and-so is forgiven. All right, you only got 100 left. Like that's not what he's saying. He's saying like think of your biggest number and multiply it by a way bigger number and just keep forgiving people. That's what Jesus tells us to do with one another, and he is the better example of forgiveness. He is perfectly forgiving. He is always constantly willing and able to forgive us no matter how we failed or how many times we failed or how many times we've messed up or how many times we've rejected him or how many times we've behaved like the old man and not the new man and how many times we've not acted as God wants us to act but act just like everybody else. And he keeps forgiving, unlimited forgiveness. Listen, we may feel just like everyone else, but we are brand new in Christ. Choose to live that new life. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray, and the worship team's going to close us in a final chorus.